right, y'all, good morning once again. Uh, young, young ones can go down the hall if they're ready to go, if they're going to. And the rest of us will open up our Bibles together in the book of Titus this, this morning. As we continue our discussion about the church and uh, what the Word of God uh, talks about as far as the need for leadership and the uh, importance of our leadership and how God has put all that together. So just kind of continue to pray about those things and continue to seek the Lord with uh, me and each other as we continue to see what the Word of God has to say. Last week we talked about uh, the transitions that go on in life and go on throughout the life of a church and how God is faithful in that and how God has provided uh, the leadership that has been needed over the years. And we praise God for that. And we're also, we're also uh, uh, discovered that it's by God's design that people would be led by other people in the ways of God. And that we would lead each other and that we would have leaders appointed by God to do so. Um, but not just any kind of leader, but godly leaders is what is called for in the, in the church, in, in all the churches around the world, in the body of Christ. Uh, last week we looked in scriptures, there's a lot of different scriptures, where we saw that scripture teaches this, and we also saw by the examples of the apostles' actions that it's necessary. So today I want to talk to you about how godly men are not only required or called on, called for by God, but they're also qualified by God. God is the one who qualifies any of us to do anything in this world. And he's uh, the one who qualifies us to even go and preach the gospel our own selves and make disciples as we're commanded to do in the Great Commission. So as we look forward to looking at what Titus has to say or the, book, the letter to Titus and helping us understand uh, God's qualifications for godly leadership, uh, we're going to refer to uh, second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well because it, it's in agreement. Paul wrote to Timothy about the same things as he wrote to Titus about instructing them and advising them on what the qualifications for godly leadership would be according to God. So we want to know this and we want to see this and we want to understand it and we want to pray about it. Uh, Titus was a young man at the time who Paul had been had brought up in the faith quite possibly would have uh, been the one or around when he was baptized into the faith and mentored him into the ministry. And they were in a place called Crete, which is a, an island w where uh, some churches had began uh, over, over time. Some, some believe that those churches were part of uh, the result or the fruit of the chapter 2 uh, Pentecost moment where all the, all the people from all around were uh, gathered together, and when the Holy Spirit began to preach through the apostles at the time, everyone heard the gospel in their own language, and uh, it, it is quite possible that some of these churches were a, uh, a result of when people went back home and they took the message with them, together with the ministry of Paul, as Paul went on his missionary journey to preach the gospel and gather the believers together and, and help them to know what it means to be the church. So he leaves Titus in uh, Crete to continue to build the churches, continue to 
help them become healthy and continue to help them do what they're called to do as the church. In verse 5 through uh, 9 this morning is where we're going to focus. As he writes this letter to Titus, he's giving him instructions and explaining to him why he left him there. Because obviously he had to go somewhere else. He had to go on and be uh, doing his work in other places as a church planter and a disciple maker. Uh, So he says in verse 5, after he gives his normal greetings and and blessings in the first four verses, chapter chapter 1 of Titus, he says says this in verse 5, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of of one uh, wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not wicked-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, we'll talk about that word in a little bit, not not fond of sordid gain, verse 8, but hospitable. We'll go back to it in a minute. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This is our scripture for uh, this morning and we're going to break it down into a couple sections uh, to talk, to just to talk about it some. So I think that Paul's instructions to Titus and Timothy, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, are pretty clear about what he's wanting them to know and how they're supposed to go about doing uh, their ministry and their goals. So, you know, if I'm Titus or Timothy, I'm going to say, okay, th- these are my instructions as a young preacher, as a young evangelist. How do I find these kinds of leaders how do i go about this well he's giving him all of these characteristics all of these qualifications that god would require so that he could recognize people like this let's go through a couple of them i'm not i'm not they're not going to be on the board so you can write them on your there's a little space on your bulletin you can just jot these down for your own study and prayer The first thing he says is that these would be above reproach in verse uh, 5 and 6, right? So appoint elders in in every city as I directed you, if any man, verse 6, is above reproach. A lot of people are uh, maybe get confused about what it means to be above reproach. It is not, it does not mean that a person should be perfect or never make a mistake at all. It means that you're unable to prove any accusation against that person it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that that person ha- would, would never have failed or never have done something wrong or never made a mistake it just means that when those things would happen they would deal with it appropriately so that when an accusation would come they would have already dealt with the problem and corrected the problem that's above reproach they're in right standing with not only God but themselves and all around that would be above reproach. Any, and, and it doesn't mean that they won't be accused of wrongdoing. Jesus was accused of wrongdoing all the time. But no one who accused Jesus could ever make anything stick. That's above reproach. 
The only way we can be above reproach is to follow what Scripture teaches us when it comes to dealing with our shortcomings and how to make things right when they're wrong. Godly men and women would understand how to do this and then depend on the Lord for his help in doing so. And then he talks about a husband to one wife. But now, why, how would it make sense in the time uh, of this writing why this would be stated in such a way because there was such a culture where people could have more than one wife. And it would apply in that particular case also, but in today's world, it would still apply. It's still God's truth. So how would it apply to us? And I think that Paul is saying to Titus and Timothy, he's talking more about a man's commitment to the wife that he's married to, more than the number of. However, it does apply because it's like having more than one wife is probably not the best thing for a man's life or the woman's life for that matter. But the Bible is full of teaching about how husband and wife should interact with one another in a way that would honor God, in a way that would bring glory to God, in a way that would shine a light into the community about what God has put together. And if a husband is committed to the scripture that we're learning in the word, the truth that is being absorbed in our hearts, and, and there's evidence of uh, the spirit of God in our life in regards to how we are being a husband, this is what I believe Paul is referring to. A good husband. And then he, and then he says, children who believe. Now this is, this is a hard one. This is a hard one sometimes for some people because not everybody's children are believers, in case you didn't notice. Especially in, a, in today's world. And anybody who has raised their children to be young adults and they've gone off into the world as adults, you, you already know that there's a point in time when you no longer have the same authority over that person as you always had when they were children. Which also means you, you, do, you no longer have the same responsibility for their spiritual health and salvation. At some point, as we become adults, as we become young adults, we are to answer to the Lord for our own selves. So when he's teaching about uh, the children who are believers or who believe, he's, he's basically saying to Titus, which he said it in a different way to Timothy in the, sec in, in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, he's saying as long as this man has his house in order, his children come to church with him, his children are, are being raised in the word of God. He's making sure those things are happening. And then we get to another word that is uh, a word that I don't use that often. And I haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard it, a lot of people use it. This word dissipation. It's not a word I don't know. It's just a word we don't use. Dissipation or rebellion. Not accused of dissipation or rebellion. The word dissipation is... is could be understood as a, as a careless type of debauchery or a careless type of uh, living, even to the point of, 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 uh, of some type of drunkenness attitude in your life where you're not looking at the wisdom of life. You're not looking at what the Lord would want you to do, and, and it's all about self, and it's all sinful. 
This is what Jesus was accused of, remember. And the disciples were accused. The apostles along the way, they're accused of being drunk all the time. They're accused of being in, acting weird and, and, and being possessed by demons as if there's something wrong with them. And which, all, which always leads to rebelliousness if it's allowed to take root in a man's heart. You can't be obedient to authority in your life if you are controlled by something else in your life. So those are a few things in the first two verses, verses 5 and 6, that are brought up. And they're all things that would definitely set a person apart. If you see these things in a person's life, even in today's world, you see, all of us are supposed to have these characteristics about us. Have you ever noticed that? All of these characteristics that are described as godly leaders, who the leaders are supposed to be and what their lives are supposed to look like, it, they should apply to all of us as Christians. We should all look like this if we're growing spiritually. We may not have it all down pat. We may not be perfecting it, but we are a work in progress. Wouldn't you all agree? So this is what we're looking for. And in Crete, Crete was a place that was... These people were known as connivers and liars, professional deceivers. So much so, let me kind of briefly describe, they, 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 they kind of took pride in who can be the best word spinners, the best uh, manipulators, right? And it's almost like, uh, how do I... Uh, there are certain people in our world today that most of us would look at the news and say, yeah, he's one, they're one of those. Because <laughs> they're always spinning the words to make it say what they want it to say. Could be politicians, could be media people, could be anybody in your life. They're professionals and they take pride in it. It's almost like a competition with the creation. They weren't to be trusted, and they were divisive a lot of times because of it. And here the church is trying to grow in the middle of it all. Because somebody brought the gospel into Crete. Somebody shared the gospel, and people started believing it. The problem is they were a, a bunch of believers who were being pulled in one direction with the gospel and being pulled in another direction with the culture. And if you're like me and you've lived in this world long enough, it's very easy to be pulled into the culture and pulled by the ways of God and begin to get fuzzy if you're not surrounded by folks that can help you understand or verify what's true or not true. You don't really have the word of God to look at. We're supposed to be set apart, even in today's world. When we go out into the community, we're supposed to look different and act different than the world. And... Godly leaders, leaders that are qualified by God, are the ones who set the example for the believers. They're the front runners. They go and do these things so that we can see. That's why Paul would run around his world saying, hey, follow me while I follow Christ. Don't be like me because you, li you want to be me. Be like me because I'm trying to be like Jesus. That's what I'm doing, so join me. That's what leaders do. That's what godly leaders do. In fact, Paul himself was not a godly man before he got saved. He thought he was, but he really wasn't, was he? 
He was a murderous uh, hater of these Christians, so much so that he traveled the world to kill them. And yet God qualified him to be a leader in the church by his grace. And when, imagine uh, just for a moment, and I'll try not to go down this road too far because this is just kind of a side note, but imagine you're, you're, you're part of the group of believers, right, and, and, and the, the church is beginning to uh, get some momentum. The gospel, the power of the gospel is infecting the world, and people are raise, rising up against it, and the church is trying to do whatever the Spirit is leading them to do, and then suddenly... Public enemy number one shows up at the church and says, I want to be baptized. And they have to sit back and say, wait a minute here. Is this real or is this not real? Because I think if it was up to the believers and they didn't have the guidance of the spirit of God in their life, they may have turned him away for fear of him. They may have said, no, thank you, get out, we don't trust you. But because of the Spirit of God active in their life, and because of the Spirit of God active in the life of Paul, who used to be Saul, God had his way, and Paul was qualified, and not only qualified, he went into the world informing others that they're qualified to do what God's called them to do. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, before we get back to Titus, this is, this is a, the, the second letter of Timothy. Everybody here knows, I think, and most people who study the, the Bible with any amount of seriousness would have heard this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for, repro- for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If I, every, time, every time I come up here and I say to y'all, this is the word of God and we believe it to be absolute truth, every one of y'all say what? Amen. Amen. And, you, and you say it because you believe it. You say it because you trust it. It's the core of who we are. Because if this isn't true, then we don't have a Savior. That's how serious it is. And if if it's not true, then that means we don't even have a God who can be trusted. Because if this isn't absolute truth, we can't do anything with it. But it is, and here's part of the scripture that says that it is, proves that it is, and it's for the believers to be adequate and equipped to do the work that God's called us to do, whatever that might be. And none of, us are call, none of us are qualified to do any work for Jesus at all without the blood of Christ, without his grace, without his spirit, without his holiness offered to us in this way. So therefore, what we find in this chapter of Titus can be taken to the bank as absolute truth, which means the things that we're talking about, these personal characteristics of a godly man who would become a leader within the church would be God's qualifications 
for those who would be called to lead the church. And if God says you're qualified, then so be it, right? This is still true in today's world. It's the same Bible, and it's the same church. But wait, there's more. We go, we go on into verse 7 and 9, and we see words like this. For the overseer, the church leader, the elder, must be above reproach as God's steward. At first, I thought I was reading that, and I was like, he said above reproach twice. Why would he say it twice? But he's saying above, this time he's saying above reproach as God's steward. So first off, would be, he would be above reproach in his own personal life, not only in the church, but in the community, but also above reproach in the ways that he handles the word of God, in the ways that he responds to his calling, in the ways that he accepts and is steward over the things that are entrusted to him. And in, in the case of a, of a church leader, an elder, or an overseer, a, 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 a shepherd, that would be to care for the flock. That would be to teach the flock. That would be to protect the flock. That would be to lead in the ways that God would lead him to lead. There's a few knots in here, things that, that wouldn't be part of his life. For example, not self-willed. Everybody here knows that if, when we're talking about the godly life, when we're talking about the Christian life, it's never about self, right? Anytime we get caught up in self, we can be sure that we're getting off, the, off of the path. Uh, a a self-willed person has, like, like, like you know, I've, I've heard uh, parents who have uh, children who, they call them uh, strong-willed. But really, they're self-willed. Because little children, they don't really care about your authority in their life. They want this, and they want that, and they want it right now. And if we're raising them in a godly way, and we're loving them, we will teach them out of that. So that they can benefit from the things that God is doing in their life through the authority in their life. And they will not become selfish people. Because nobody likes a selfish person. Am I right? Unless you are the selfish person, then you're just like, okay, well, I like myself. <laughs> you get the point. Another one, it, it seems like it would be obvious that we wouldn't want someone who is quick-tempered to be in charge or to be leading the church or to have uh, God's blessing in their position as a leader because a quick-tempered person is hard to deal with. And I, I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever felt like you were quick-tempered because there's times when we have lost our temper, hasn't there, over the years. This is why we need Jesus in our life. This is why we need the Spirit of God, because in those moments when emotions happen, it would be the Spirit of God that would say, let's stay calm. Let's do this and not do that. Quick-tempered people react on emotions without thought. And almost every time, if not every time, does not honor God. So we couldn't, we couldn't, surely we couldn't have a person like that 
be leading the church, and God would not qualify that person because of that. The next one, it says that this person would not be addicted to wine. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this can be a whole another sermon if I, if I let it. I want you to focus on the word addicted to, the two words, addicted to. I don't want you to ignore the word wine, but it's not about the alcohol as much as it is it's about the addiction. Because any addiction is sinful. Because you're putting something else above God. That's what addiction is. You're addicted to, you depend on, you need it for whatever the reason. And when you have that in your life, it interferes with God being number one. And if there is a person who has an addiction, namely wine, at the time uh, of this writing, wine was what people would be addicted to, you can't serve God with all the wisdom that the Spirit of God would reveal to you if you're drunk. Drunk is drunk, right? You can barely, you can barely manage your own physical self when you're drunk on alcohol. So we don't need a person to lead the church in that way. Now we're going to get to the word of the day. Another word that I have never heard anybody use, pugnacious. If somebody called you pugnacious, wouldn't that offend you just by hearing the word? It just sounds like an offensive word. Don't be so pugnacious. <laughs> I've never heard that word like that before. It's a pretty neat word. But it really the word really means to be quick to argue or to quarrel or to fight. And I don't know about you, but I've met folks over the years that that's all they want to do is argue with everybody. Right? You, you can call them by their own name and they'll argue with you about whether or not that's their name. Just for the sake of arguing. They, some reason, they, they enjoy, they have this habit of arguing about every little thing. And it doesn't honor God. Right? So we pray that the Lord would help us not be a pugnacious type of people. Right. Nobody wants to go to a church filled with pugnacious people. I'm going to keep saying that word it's time to. Okay. Have you ever heard of sordid gain? The word sordid gain. It means ill-gotten gain. It's what selfish people do. It's what greedy people do. They'll gain for themselves, whether it's finances or whether it's recognition or power or strength or wisdom. Whatever it is they're after, they'll do anything and everything to get it, which means they don't have any integrity at all. And they're self-willed people. And they can't, you know, we can't, we can't have these things be about any of us and say that we have the Spirit of God living in our hearts. Can we? Because none of it looks like Jesus. None of it looks like the way that God would have us live. Not any of these don't be, the, not any of these nots. Then we get into these other more pleasant words that we all uh, hope the Lord helps us with. Right? Words like hospitable. Be hospitable. This congregation, y'all, y'all folks, are really good at this word. I don't know. Ever since I've been here with y'all, 
every person that's ever come into this church has called me or come to me afterward and they just praise y'all for how friendly you are and how inviting you are. They say, you know what they say to me? They say, I felt like I was at home the moment I came in the door. That's hospitality. It's amazing to me that people go to college and get a, a degree in hospitality. Why, why do you need to go study for four years and learn how to be hospitable to people? Just look at somebody, smile at them, and say, hey, how you doing? Welcome. <laughs> that's hospitality. I get it. I, there's a whole industry there, and, and you got to learn how to be professional and all. That's, I get it. How many of y'all love what is good? I don't mean like good like barbecue good. I mean what is good, what God says is good. Aren't we pursuing that, y'all? Aren't we pursuing what God says is good? That's what I want for my life. And here's the problem. Sometimes what God says is good isn't really what I think is good. But I still want it. I still want it for you and I want it for me. And, and godly leaders will not only pursue it for themselves and their families, but also for the, for the church, for the believers, for the community. You love what is good. Now, if, if we don't understand the word sensible, then we don't have no sense. It seems like a simple word, doesn't it? Sensible. Be sensible. Just, just be sensible. Just common sense. Wisdom comes from God, y'all. You want, you want wisdom? Go ask God. You want common sense? Uh, go back a few generations. They had a lot more common sense than we do these days. Just do what is wise. And then there's the word just. That's a tough one. How, am I a just person? Are you a just person? And I don't know that I would be able to say, and maybe you, you, I'll let you answer for yourself, but I, I hope that I'm a just person way more often than I'm not. But it's when I'm not is when I got to go do some repenting and get with God to get fixed. Because being a just person means that we're behaving according to what is morally right. Always trying to do the right thing even if we don't want to or don't feel like it or maybe even don't agree with it and the problem we have with that is we don't really sometimes focus on what is right we have these great debates with God about what's right and what's wrong and we should just be surrendering to what God says is right because what I say is right doesn't really matter does it and these godly leaders that God would qualify they have a habit of doing what is right and also helping others encouraging others to do the same that's what leaders do and they're devout it says there's a word there that says devout just write the word commitment down committed totally surrendered to I'm in I'm all in Right, I, I were, I, we were. Uh, there was a swimming pool in this little town where I spent my grade school years. Public swimming pool, and they they had a not only one of them spring board, diving boards in it, but they had like th two or three, I think it was three, concrete diving platforms on this thing. And I don't know how many times I went up on that thing, thinking I'm gonna get up the courage to jump off. 
And, and like all the, all the rest of my friends, they were up there one after the other just jumping off the highest one. I was scared to death. Because once your, your toenails leave the edge of that platform, you're committed. You're all in. Whether you like it or not, you can't change it. There's no crawling back up and saying, never mind, I've changed my mind. That's what devout means. Hardcore commitment to what you do. That's what, that's what God, that's how God qualifies a godly leader. And then we got the word self-controlled, which, which kind of goes with uh, not being self-willed. It's like the other side of the coin, right? Be in control of yourself. Get a hold of you. Have you, somebody told you that? Get a hold of yourself, would you? I've been told that. My wife tells me that at least once a month. Get a hold of yourself. Crying out loud. It's just barbecue, right? Self-control, it means, it means we're thinking about what we're doing and how we're reacting and our actions before we go and jump in and do it. It means we're praying about things. We're talking to God. We're considering what the Spirit of God would lead us to do. Self-control, which means I'm, I, I want to do this. I want to react this way, but I'm not because it doesn't honor God. Or... I need to go do this, even though it's not something I'm comfortable with, but it honors God, so let me step out and do this. Leaders, godly leaders, qualified by God, they lead us and they show us how to live this way. Not because they're better than, it's because it's what God's doing in their life. They're not perfect. They don't always get it right. They're working hard because they're devout. All of this is what the Word of God says is about how God qualifies His leaders of His church. These are God's qualifications. And by the way, if you look in uh, Timothy, the only thing that was left out of Titus's instructions were what, it, what Timothy, in the beginning of Timothy's instructions of 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, hey, if a man desires to do this, then, the, then, he, then he follows up with all these qualifications. So the first qualification, according to the, the, the first letter to Timothy, is that a man would desire to do it. And it makes sense because we know that God doesn't force us to do anything. He doesn't even force us to love him. He doesn't even force us to be saved. I want to give you two examples, and then we're going to wrap it up illustrations of how God qualifies people regardless of what people might think. Young David was out tending to the sheep like he was supposed to be. He's got other brothers that are older than him and yet he was picked out of the crowd to be the leader of Israel. He became the king of Israel. And everybody was like lined up to be picked. And it kept getting passed up. Because according to man, all them boys would have been fit to be the king. But God said, no, it's David, the youngest one. He's the one. It's going to be him. And David became a great king. And David was qualified because God qualified him, not because man qualified. 
and he did great things. And notice, if you, if you study the, the life of David, David did some bad things even after he was qualified, and he failed in a lot of ways. So we're not looking for perfect men. We're looking for God's qualified men. And then another example as we move on, there's Moses. Uh, don't you feel like Moses sometimes? Like God show up and say, hey, I want you to do this. And you're just like, but Lord, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not ready to do, I'm not the guy. You find somebody, I'm, I can't do that. I mean, if Moses lived in this generation, he, he might look like me. Because I'm just an old truck driver, hammer swinging truck driver. And God says, uh, you need to stop doing that and go preach. And it was at least a year of me arguing with God about that. And then it was another year after, I think it was about a year, where my wife was arguing. Not that she didn't think I could preach, but just the way we were going about it. It took us a couple years to get in line with what God's doing. And even today, I'm standing here thinking, how do, who, who am I to, to preach anything to anybody? And if I didn't understand and accept and surrender to what God's doing, I would never be able to follow I'm only qualified to do what I'm doing because of him. He says I'm qualified, so who am I to argue with him? You're qualified to witness to your neighbors. You're qualified to love your neighbors. You're qualified to go preach the gospel all throughout the world because God qualified you. You're qualified because the blood of Christ qualifies you. And only that. Last thing. If we look in Galatians chapter 5, what was written to them in part of their teaching, he, he's trying to get them to understand what uh, the Christian life is, is like. And he's telling them, if you have the Spirit of God, then your life will look like this. And this is where we know what we know as the fruits of the Spirit. I want to just read them really quickly. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, oh, there's self-control again. Against such things there is no law. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the, when, when, we're, when we're given the gospel, it says, to, it says to, if you believe, to repent, confess Christ, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus left the disciples and went to be with the, the Lord after his resurrection, he said, I'm going to send you another spirit. The Holy Spirit, and he's going to teach you and lead you and guide you in everything that I've taught you. And these characteristics in Galatians are what happens when a spirit lives in a person. And isn't it amazing that they line up perfectly with what we read in Titus and Timothy? They're the same thing. What qualifies a person to be a leader of the church, how God qualifies them is, is their fruit of the Spirit of God in their life. That's who God qualifies, and that's how he qualifies. Church leaders are to, be, are to lead by example. And the example is how to walk by the Spirit of God, not get in front of the Spirit, not lag behind, but keep in step, as Galatians, the Galatians were taught. So if we're seeking God's will, 
and, and his will is that the church should have godly leadership, as we discovered last week, then it stands to reason that he would provide godly men for that. Godly men whom he qualifies, who God qualifies, the word of God. The big idea for this morning is God and God alone who qualifies anyone to do anything for him, including be a church leader. So as I mentioned before, as we finish up here, anybody who is saved is only qualified to be saved because of the blood of Christ. You're only qualified to be in the presence of God because Jesus went to the cross. Because it took that for us to be forgiven. Nobody here is qualified to be in the presence of God on their own. That's Romans. Romans teaches us that we all fall short. So before we even go any further with any kind of qualifications, we need to be qualified to stand before God in his holiness. And that's through faith, repentance, baptism, so we can be forgiven. I love him. The Lord loves you. If you're not saved, that's, what, that's where we need to start. The rest of us, we can just be in prayer about things, be in prayer about what the Lord's doing, and we can seek his will together. You ready? Let's stand together and we'll sing.